Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome to Victoria's Friday by Victoria's Family. You know, as I always say, I have a special guest with me today, and today is no exception. Uh, I have with me, uh, who's becoming a dear friend as I get to know him. Uh, I'm going to call him Dr. Brian Chapel one time so I can kind of get off the hook, and then he'll probably just tell me to call him Brian. So at least I've, I've done the protocol, uh, and, and I, I feel better about it. Well, I'll feel better with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Brian, for joining us today. Welcome to Victoria's Friday. Thank you, Terrence. Good to be with you. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, when I talk about um, uh, Brian, I, I think about, you know, just a little bit of your background as a pastor and a theologian. I mean, you've certainly uh, have served uh, in the Presbyterian Church as a state uh, state uh, clerk for the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, boy, what a blessing that was, as you shared with us a few, maybe a couple of months ago or so, uh, just a powerful message on celebrating generations and, and what that means, what that looks like. And, 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 and many will probably have a different perspective than what you shared with us. And so I, I was just so, um, you know, just encouraged by your message. I wanted to invite you on uh, the podcast today so my listeners can, can be blessed in the same way. Um, and I think certainly uh, when I look at your background and, and all of that, you know, I, 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 the biggest thing for me is 45 years of marriage and, and kids and six and six grandkids. I mean, that is amazing. Uh, what a blessing because you're coming not only with that, that train of thought, but also as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather. So uh, welcome. Uh, we love you and want to see you part of the show as you've authored so many books uh, on the topic. So let's, let's just dive right into it. Uh, this celebrating generations. And I know you've spoken on this several times. Just give it, a, let's start with an overview uh, as to the topic of celebrating generations and what are the key points uh, that you really wanna, wanna get out there? Well, the key point is, is this, if you ever become a mono-generational church, that is, you're really great with those over 60, you're really great with those over 20, everybody in your, in your church has a family of three kids and they're between ages 30 and 40, then I will assure you of something. If you ever become a mono-generational church, you die <laughs> because you have to reach across generations. And so the scriptures are, are requiring us to celebrate generations and to recognize God didn't just work in one generation. He's not just working in one generation. He's working across generations to secure his kingdom and to reach people from every generation, every culture. And he does that as we, you know, obviously it's a little hard at times to, to not just deal with people like yourself, but it's really the grand expression of the gospel to say that we reach across differences of ethnicity, of nation, of generation to say, as Christ has loved me, I will love you. And that extends the gospel. And beyond that, it blesses us when we see generation upon generation honoring the Lord that we love. We know that brings him more glory. It also brings us more joy. And so it's just recognizing there are difficulties in changing generations. You know, I don't get to be served all the time. I have to think about others. But Ultimately, there is great blessing in celebrating the generations that the Lord is blessing by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
Well, you know, that is so true. When I look at churches and I talk to pastors really all around the world, uh, they're all challenged by this by this message, right? Because uh, most churches are, I mean, they're they're aging out, right? And 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 many are dying, many are going away. Uh, and and many of that next generation, honestly, are just not coming to church. And and so we've seen uh statistics you know such as 50 percent not coming to church or 33 percent or whatever the number is uh that next generation is approaching uh how they worship in a different way and and, and how the message is becoming relevant to them uh you know how do we reconnect and i always say the foundation stays the same but the methodology may change uh and we certainly have seen coming out of the pandemic methodologies change whether it's forced <laughs> because there was no options um, what do you see as the uh, systemic issue here as to why the church is struggling in connecting the generations well let, let's just deal with some some hard but important facts if you look worldwide right now you say and and you and i terrence we deal with a lot of different churches a lot of different places uh, you have to recognize this. If you say, you know, why aren't other people, particularly young people, a lot more like me? <laughs> you kind of say, you know, it's that, that standard young people today, you know, and, and we kind of you know, huff and puff when we say that. All right, well, what do we need to say? If you are age 50 and above, you are only 10% of the world's population. If you are age 15 and below, you are over 50% of the world's population. That means that the great movement of the gospel is not going to be happening among those 50 and above, it's gonna be happening among those 15 and below. But here's the good news, that most people, not everybody, but most people will live the faith for a lifetime that they embrace between ages 14 and 18. Whatever you believe between 14 and 18, for good, for bad, for ill, for good, whatever it is, whatever you're believing between 14, for most people, that is the faith that they will live for the rest of their lives. Here's the other great thing. Most people come to faith in Jesus Christ between ages 14 and 18. So we kind of say, here is the great gospel opportunity to recognize, I can't just say young people today and kind of ignore that. We have to say, listen, there is great opportunity, and the way we affect people is not a mystery. Uh, what, what every study will tell us is churches that pay attention to their young people. I'm not talking about serving their young people or turning the church upside down, but if churches will pay attention to young people, the, some of the key studies done by the Lilly Foundation and other Lilly Endowment would say if only four adults, only four adults in the church, will pay significant attention to a young person between the ages of 14 and 18, that young person will be a Christian for life. And, and you have to say, well, why isn't that done? Well, <laughs> young people are not like me. They're not like you. And so we always gravitate to people like ourselves. But, but what the gospel is about is always the grace of God toward the least of these, toward those perceived without power or importance but that God is using to build the kingdom. So, you know, we think about our children, we think about young families, you, know, you and I know all the statistics on millennials and Gen Z and all that, and you, you probably know, you deal with this more than I do, Terrence. And yet I recognize, um, we have to recognize the importance of extending the kingdom and all the gospel messages that we know, evangelistic techniques, how do most people come to know the Lord? 
through their home life. Yeah. That is how most people come to faith is by what they learn. Now, it, believe me, there are other things that the church needs to be doing, sure. but, but training families in the home to honor Jesus is the most effective form of evangelism and always has been. And so we need to say, how, how do we do that? Well, understanding the differences, I know you and I are going to talk about that, but in one way, celebrating them, right? I, I look at my own children. I say they're better evangelists than I, you know, I, I don't know your background, but you know, I was a Sunday school kid, you know, and raised to be good, good little boy. And, and what that meant was if I was in a crowd that was, you know, smoking and cussing and, you know, doing all the things I would, I, I kind of, you know, push away from it. I didn't want to be associated with it. You know what? I was raised in a generation where most people thought they were Christians. Yeah. And so they, you know, even if they did kind of smoke and carouse and cuss, um, they just thought we were being good Christians, but they were Christians. Yeah. Listen, my children, your children, their entire life, they didn't believe that everybody around them was a Christian, good mm -hmm. Christians and bad Christians. Mm -hmm. They thought, you know what? I'm a Christian and nobody around me is, right? I'm, I'm lonely here in a culture that is secular and pluralistic. Yeah. You know, any God works as long as you, you, you know, you're sincere. And the, the consequence of that was my children were raised to believe I, I, I've got to, if I'm going to carry the faith on, I've got to talk to my friends. Where are my friends? Well, they're smoking and cussing and carousing. <laughs> and, and my children are, are so much better evangelists than I, because they're serious about their faith. That's the mark of young Christians. If you're not serious about your faith, you have nothing to do with the church these days. If you're in the church, even if you don't meet my standards, you are serious about your faith. And, and that, that means we have, we have the best generation of evangelists in the church I think we've ever had because they so easily talk with non-Christians. And in my background, I wasn't trained to do that. I was trained to stay away from non-Christians. Yeah. My kids learned to love, befriend, and share the gospel with non-Christians in a way I never learned, just by normal friendship, relationships, conversations. I tell you, you're talking my language now because uh, uh, what we're talking about, you know, for, for many of us, you know, generationally, um, a lot of us abdicated a, a responsibility of raising our kids in the Lord to the church or Sunday school or camp or what have you. Uh, but, you know, when we were growing up, probably um, that was that was started in the home. Uh, our parents, you know, we didn't have this competition on Sunday, if you will, uh, with sports and so many other things and academic performance and so forth. We I don't think it was much to do other than go to church as the option. Right. Uh, but our parents took their time uh, to sit around the coffee table or the dining room table and say, hey, let's let's open up, in our case, the old King James Version, so we understood every other word. But but at least open it up and begin to dive into it and say, hey, what, what do you think this is all about? And we were able to investigate the faith. But, you know, I still remember growing up in very much of a performance theology. Right, we wanted to check the box, right? That we were good Christians going to church on Sunday and, and it looked good, right? But at the end of the day, we were taught all these do's and don'ts and so forth. And I realized many, many years later, it's not about what I did at all, but it's what he, about what he's done. And boy, what freeing that was. And so uh, when I look to, to this generation, this millennial generation, I remember a conversation with uh, George Barner 
And he, he said to me, Terrence, you know, if we can reach them between the ages of three and, and 14 years of age and set that biblical worldview and that foundation during that time, when they get to those ages of 14 to 18, we have really shaped uh, that biblical worldview that, that is hard to really change unless there's a dramatic situation in their life later on in life. When you think about uh, those, those generations, right? We're, we're talking about the largest generation since the baby boomers, the millennial generation, uh, who maybe look different than us, think different than us, maybe not, but you know what? You, you, you understand those differences and, and those challenges. Uh, break them down for us a little bit and tell us what your findings and your research have found. Well, let's, let's first give the hope. All right. And, yeah. and you and I, how many times have we heard that when our Bible believing, uh, Christ believing young people leave our churches uh, and go off to college, two thirds will leave the church. Yeah. And, and I mean, over and over again, we hear those stats and, and that's scary and that's sad. And we know that some will come back. Uh, and when they come back is typically when they start having children. But the overall message is not, not nearly as many will come back as left. And therefore, the church gets smaller and smaller. Now, here, here's the here's the counter message, and it's just good surveys of and, and we can make this magic. And Terrence, I so much like it. We we don't want to create performance. We don't want to create check off the box religion. Right. But let's say if if the parents love the Lord, and by that I mean there there is kind of talk about Jesus in the home in a loving way, not in not in just a a corrective way. If, if there's prayer in the home where we, you know, we pray with our kids at night, we pray at the dinner table, and we, we try to introduce our children to uh, friends and family and churches where people love the Lord. Now, here's the totally counter message. Those homes, which are regularly involved in the worship of God inside and outside the home, and I'm not talking about you have to be a preacher in the home, that's probably the worst thing you could do, but but. <laughs> If, if you just love the Lord Jesus and, and there's those daily conversations with God that your children recognize it's not fake, you're just talking to them about your own heart's love, 90% of those children stay in the church. 90% of those children stay Never in the church. Never hear that number, by the way. You do not, because and in, in part, I, I don't even know how to phrase it in a way that doesn't heap guilt on parents. Well, I didn't do good enough, so my, mm -hmm. it's not really the point. The point is, is your heart resonating with the Lord Jesus so that there's just this natural love of Christ in the home, not perfect parents, but parents that tell their kids, you know, I messed up today, but Jesus is going to forgive me. I may have messed up with you, but, and, and if you messed up, ask Jesus to forgive you. And there is some sense of not perfect parents and not parents that require too much of their kids, but there is this love of the grace of God that's fountaining in the home that God didn't love me because I got good enough. He loved me when I was a sinner. And, and God doesn't love me because I'm perfect as a parent, but he does love me. And I, I want you to know that love. And whatever way that's communicated with different parents, different personalities, but we just make Jesus part of our, our life conversation. And, and it, I'm not magic and I'm not trying to make it performance. I'm trying to talk about a relationship. You know, that's old fashioned language. It's about a personal relationship with you. But when there is relational love in the home based on the gospel, so that parents forgive one another and they forgive their children and their children learn to love the gospel their parents love, 
90% of those children yeah. stay in the church, which doesn't make them Christians. What it really means is they're loving the Lord enough to keep going to worship him when they're not required to. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the blessing. So what sometimes keeps parents from relating to their kids or the next generation mm. is recognizing we don't share the same values, it seems. And, and Terrence, you and I are similar ages, so let's just say we were raised in the time where politics was often the moral majority, right? And, and uh, we, there were key political figures and church figures who said, uh, we need to stop all this erosion of values in our culture, secular humanism, and abortion and homosexuality and pornography that's coming in our and the way we're going to turn that back is we are going to mobilize the moral majority and and all preachers and and responsible adults knew the message you know you're supposed to stand up and vote for politicians that uh, oppose abortion and oppose homosexuality and oppose pornography and illegal gambling and all you know we just kind of we knew the list and our kids come along and they say, well, goodness, I, you know what? If I talk that way to my friends, they're not going to listen to the gospel. They're not even going to be my friend. I'd, I'd much rather talk about the sanctity of human life in terms of adopting underprivileged children or foster care for those who are, have families in trouble or, you know, homosexuality. Well, I'm not for homosexuality, but shouldn't we love people who think we hate them? And shouldn't we have a, a, a conversation of compassion with people that we think their lives are going toward destruction? And if it's gambling, you know, we have our own addictions. I mean, it's not gambling among young people as much as it is gaming, you know, that that's the addiction often of young people. And what you find is an older generation says, what we got to do is we to crack down on this awful culture. And you've got a younger generation that says, actually, I want to speak Jesus into this culture. And for an older generation, they often think that sounds like you're a coward or you're not willing to put on the uniform of a real Christian. And a younger generation says to the older, you're not really willing to talk to my friends. You're willing to condemn them, but you're not willing to talk to them or understand where the culture, you're, you're a hypocrite. And because, you know, coward, hypocrite, you know, that's, <laughs> and, and that conversation gets pretty distant, right? Yeah, well, I was going to say, that does, that's not going to go too far. <laughs> Instead, we have to say, you know what? The gospel has not changed. We love the scriptures. We love the mission of the church to take the message of Jesus and his pardoning grace into all the world. And, and we believe that that message of care for life, care for the least of these, um, has to be made. But that's not going to start the way it would have, the conversation is not going to start the way it did 35, 40, 50 years ago, right? The conversation is going to start at a different place, which is how do I show compassion for you when you're going to think I hate you because you're a different skin color, or you're a different political party, or you, 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 uh, you're homosexual, or you're, you're not binary, you're not sure what you are. Well, my kids and my grandkids are growing up in a world where if they're simply going to say, I'm going to separate from everybody like, not like me, yeah. then the, they have no witness. And so what they have to be taught by people who respect them say, you know, you're growing up in a different world than I was, but the gospel hasn't changed. Christ hasn't changed. The scriptures haven't changed. The mission hasn't changed. We need to reach those 
by living in faith and love for Christ so that others will see what that means. And the, the, the children of my children and grandchildren have a different mission than I did in terms of the culture they're dealing with. And what's so hard often for church leaders and parents is to say, the world my children are growing up in is not the world I grew up in. So I grew up in a majority Christian culture. Everybody at least thought they were Christians. Mm -hmm. My children are growing up in a minority Christian culture. Yeah. They think that they're almost alone mm -hmm. in school or even in the workplace among a secular pluralistic culture. And so we have to respect that we're in different categories of how we express our faith and not believe that we're talking about a different faith so we can keep talking to each other, celebrate our differences. We're each in a different stage of life, ministering to different people. How can I help you? Older people have the resources. Younger people have the contacts. <laughs> I love if it. I love celebrate it. that. We can still reach across the generations and reach across the cultures. Yeah. You know, I, I continue to hear from this younger generation that we hear you but we don't see you modeling it, right? Uh, we don't see you living it out. And, and so therefore, it seems like we lose our potential uh, impact or reach because they're saying, hey, we've been witnessing what you guys say and what you guys do. They just don't, they don't equal up. And then, like you say, there's so much, so much tension out there uh in in society that's totally different than than when we grew up uh that we didn't i don't remember facing some of these challenges that our young people are facing today uh no wonder there's so much challenge and anxiety and depression and so much other things questioning uh and sometimes it's like well i don't want to even go there with my friends because boy that's gonna put me in a whole different shade of light because of what's been modeled out there, maybe by some other generations. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think there is a peculiar responsibility of an older generation to say, just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. Hmm. So uh, th there was a time, I'll say again, I kind of grew up in the Bible Belt mm -hmm. and, and everybody thought of themselves as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And that, that meant, uh, I go to church or I believe in God or, or whatever, but you know, there were good Christians and there were bad Christians and there were serious Christians and not serious Christians, but everybody was a Christian. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking, wait, are you living as though the Lord has loved you and gave himself for you? And for that reason, you live in gratitude every day. Yeah. And that, that sort of real faith, not cultural Christianity, mm -hmm. not political Christianity is is what is necessary. I mean, Terrence, you and I know there's this great debate in our circles right now. Sure. Can I even keep using the word evangelical for identifying myself? Mm -hmm. Because it's been hijacked in a sense by a yes. political identification. Yeah. And and uh, you and I, again, we work in this area so we know that during the Trump years, those who identified as evangelical grew by 16%. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that 16% growth and you say, where were they going to church? The answer is nowhere. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It, it was it was pure. Oh, evangelical. Well, that means you're 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 a Republican of a certain stripe. So that must mean I'm an evangelical. Yeah. And I believe in God. And you're saying, well, you know what? That that's that's not what I mean by evangelical, by one who believes that the Bible is true, that Jesus died for my sin and that I'm to live for him. 
and 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 take his message into the world by how I act and treat people and respect other people. Well, that's not a political identification. That's right. That that's right. that is faith from the heart. That's right. And so, as as there's all this polarity in the world, we need to say to our children. This is what I mean by being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And yes, I will. Ju we just have to confess there's a lot of, if you will, it's not, may not even be hypocrisy. It may be ignorance of what it means to actually be a Christian, mm -hmm. which isn't just a, a socioeconomic identification. Mm -hmm. It's a heart commitment to the Lord Jesus. And Absolutely. let's say, all of us as as parents have to say, and sometimes kids, I mess up, you know, I mess up. Yeah. I, I, I didn't live, yeah. I didn't live what I believe, or I didn't reflect well my savior. But I love him so much, I'm gonna, I'm gonna humble myself before you and tell you that. Yeah. And humble myself before him and ask his forgiveness. And wow, that's, what, what, that's every, fantastic. what every study we know says is that as much as this world right now disrespects religion you know it's the cause of all these ills people hate each other because of religion they go to war because of religion they fight politics over religious identification as much as there is hatred of religion there is huge respect for what are known as sincere mm -hmm. compassionate christians now who are they thinking about i mean the name always comes as mother Teresa. you know <laughs> now but still there's somebody who was compassionate and loved Jesus. And that person is still respected in this culture. And our kids know that. Mm -hmm. Our kids know that compassionate love for people unlike yourself still gets a hearing. Yeah. And yeah. and we need to know that. Oh, they're seeking it. You know, I think, you know, I just heard, I mean, those who are truly seeking, I mean, they are more committed today, I think, than ever. And, uh, and more passionate about it maybe you know looking at it differently than we may as you just mentioned but let's dive a little deep in this celebrating generations and uh when i think about this uh, especially this millennial generation uh, which we we're all talking about uh not many of us talk about the gen x generation although i think sometime at, when i look at that transfer of, of wealth and responsibility and so many other things we just kind of forget about them uh, and we jump right into the millennial uh, generation. Uh, when we talk about celebrating generations, and the fact is we, we have to reach this next generation and, and equip them in order to reach the next generation, which is uh, Gen Z coming up and then alpha generation coming up after them. Uh, you know, if, and they say it's for generations upon generations would make his name known. And uh, how do we go forward? What's what's the message to encourage us as we look to reach and pray for this next generation? How do we go forward? We talked about the issues, we talked about the challenges, but how do we move forward, not only as a church and a church at large, but as a family, as parents who, who love our kids, who want the best for our children, for generations, our grandchildren, et cetera, and, and sometimes we just feel overwhelmed. We want to do the right thing, but sometimes we just don't know how. Yes. What would you say to these parents who, who's, who's like pulling their hair out right now? You know? yeah. Well, uh, Terrence, uh, I'm, I'm only going to repeat you for the moment. So let's say, what does it mean if, if we're not living out a performance mentality in the home? What does that mean? It means that we recognize the great problem of faith across all cultures, across the Christian world, 
is that people confuse their who and their do, mm. right? They think who they are is determined by what they do, right? Yeah. So do I get a promotion? Do I, do I get uh, more money? Do I get the prize in the race? Whatever it is, well, who I am is determined by what I do. But the gospel is the opposite. The gospel says who you are determines what you do. Yeah. And uh, I'm a child of God. And I'm living in response to that, not so that I'll become a child of God. Yeah. Jesus loved me when I was still an enemy. Mm. He died for me when I hated him. He, he loved me. I'm a loved child of God before I did a single thing to satisfy him. And what, what does that mean? You know, I must tell you that when I began my ministry, I'd been raised in a very performative Christian household. I, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have known those words. But, you know, it was kind of like measure up, kid, you know, yeah. I mean, do better. And, 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 that, and I started preaching the message of do better, straighten up, fly right. God love you yeah. for that. And until it broke me, I mean, I, I, I couldn't live up to what I was preaching. Hmm. And uh, we, we can tell about it another time. But, you know, I, I was in a historic large church as a young pastor. And the economy went out of that particular part of the country. And people started, people in the church claimed Jesus. I mean, uh, alcohol and depression and divorce and adultery. I mean, it was just everywhere. And, and all I knew to do, people would say, stop it. Now, I said, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Mm -hmm. And I said, stop it so often I couldn't stand me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I said to my wife, I, I stand in the pulpit every Sunday and I hurt people and I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And what the Lord did to me at that point was he began to teach me the gospel, not, not the gospel of performance, but the gospel of grace. Yes. And that gospel was said, you know, look at all those people in the Bible that we make heroes. There's David, you know, he beat up the lion and the bear and went up against Goliath. And, uh, you know, if you just have enough faith, you can be like David too. You should mm -hmm. be like David, yeah. except for that chapter about Bathsheba <laughs> and, and how he murdered her husband. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he raised bad kids <laughs> and, and then he walked away from God at the end of his life. Yeah. Well, all right, don't be like David, be like Abraham. You know, he was a man of faith. He went to the land he did not know. And on that journey, you know, he only gave away his wife twice to other men. And, and then because he did not have faith for the Lord's promise, he slept with his wife's maid to create an heir. And then his wife got upset about that, of all things. What did he do? Well, he put his own sleeping partner and his biological son in the yeah. desert to die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what the Lord taught me through a wonderfully wise, better preacher than I was the reason all those messed up people are in the Bible is because there's only one true hero <laughs> and everybody else needs him. That's it. And I, I began to preach that. I began to preach it. If, if, mm -hmm. if God could use people as messed up as those in the Bible, and those of you who are struggling with alcohol and depression and abuse and divorce, maybe he's still got a plan for you. Yeah. And I saw hope go back into people's eyes, but it wasn't just my people who needed hope again. Who else needed hope again? I did. I wasn't even out of my 20s, and I believed I was a failure. It changed everything I've done in life, Terrence, and it changed the way I would speak to my children. I mean, there was a time I would say to my oldest son, for instance, I'd say, Colin, you're a bad boy because you did that. Now, theologically, what did I just say? I said, your identity is based upon what you do. You did a bad thing, so you're a bad boy. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to say, Colin, don't do that. You're my son, and I love you. I want 
our relation. I want what you do to be based on our relationship. I don't want our relationship to be based on what you do. Yeah. It's, it's saying to children in a thousand ways, and we think it'll just bounce off of them and, and they're not really hearing us, but they are really hearing us. Mm. We are saying to them, there is nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. Absolutely nothing you can do because that's the way Jesus loves me. Mm. And, and we are saying, listen, you're, you're a bad place in life. You're bad things happen. You call me no matter what, I'll come get you. No matter what, I'll come get you. And what we're saying is this, what you do does not change who you are. You are my child and I love you. And that's the way Jesus loves me. My who and my do cannot be confused. Who I am always comes before what I do before the Lord Jesus. What I do is always a result of his love for me. And we have to find the ways to say that to our children, the way we treat them, the way we treat our spouses when we have yeah. difficulty. It's not a mystery. It is just the gospel. Mm. And yes, we'll make mistakes. And then we say, but God still loves me. I'm still this child. Remember, he said, no matter what you do, I'm not going to stop loving you. And, and we have to find a thousand ways to say that to sweet kids, to rebellious kids, to young kids, to old kids, to keep saying I will not stop. There's nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you because that's the gospel. Then it sinks in and gets through. Sinks in. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on Victoria's Friday today. We're talking with Dr. Brian Chappelle and um, Chapo. And I tell you, um, it's been a treat. You know, when I think back, many parents will ask me, what's the secret formula? What's the secret sauce? You know, like I have some secret formula. And I don't have one, but the best thing I do tell them at the end of the day, allow some other things is to love well. Just, just pour that foundation of love in your home because there are going to be challenges, not if, it's just when. And, and so it's your parenting and your parenting out of love. I mean, I'm talking genuine love for the child uh, and for even your, your, your spouse. Uh, it reflects, it reflects in the spirit at home. And, and that love was first demonstrated by Christ and, 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 and God himself as he sent his son. Um, as we wrap this up, we could just go on for another three hours, <laughs> Brian. I, but, but I know you, your, your time is precious, Mine, you know, but yours is precious. I want to ask you this question. I, I'd love for you just to look into the camera. To those parents out there, whether they're single parents, uh, 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 couples, you know, traditional couples, grandparents, who's, whoever is raising the child in the home today, uh, who are facing these challenges uh, that we spoke of and many more. But give them a word of encouragement. Give them a word of, um, you know, that there is hope. And we know the ultimate hope, but just, just encourage them today, if you would. Yeah. Well, Christian parent, I would just say, you know, you're always worrying, what's, what's my, what's the main thing I'm supposed to be doing with this child? And I think, I think of my children, they're kind of in two chapters. So we had our three big kids and then we had our, what I call our Mac baby, you know what a Mac baby is? That's, that's, that's middle-aged crazy, right? So um, we had that last child. I love it. And, um, you know, as that child was getting into our high school years, I would sometimes say to my wife, you know, this gal is just so active. I'm getting old. I can't keep up with her. And, uh, and my, my dear and sweet wife said, you know, the way we poured ourselves into the older kids, we got to keep pouring into this young child too. And uh, what I would do, because my job has always involved a lot of travel. 
is I would get up no matter how early she had to get up for all those busy high school years and activities. And I would fix her breakfast, you know, and it was just cereal, but I called it breakfast, you know, and, <laughs> and you know what I would think when I was preparing that for, even as I'm filling up her cereal bowl with milk, I would think, what is my job as a Christian parent? And just as I'm filling up her cereal bowl with milk, I'm thinking my job is to fill up this young woman's heart with love for Jesus. That's my main job. And why is that? Well, because when she's 18, you and I know there, there are trials and there are temptations ahead. But if her heart is full of love for Jesus, she cannot be more safe or more strong. And that's not just true of my child. That is true of every child of God. If their heart is full of love for Jesus, they cannot be more safe or more strong. Oh, we have to teach them so many things. We have to correct. We have to discipline. Yes, but our primary job, fill them up with love for Jesus. Yeah. They will not be more safe or more strong because that's God's plan to claim their hearts. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And because, you know, you um, speak a lot to pastors, and I can just think of, of pastors out there today who are feeling like, you know, man, am I having the impact that I should? Am I reaching the next generation as I should? And some of them are feeling helpless, even hopeless, uh, that they're not making a difference. And maybe I'm gonna, you know, maybe I wasn't called. Maybe I need to walk away from this and do something else. Look into that camera and give them a word of encouragement as well, uh, Brian, and just encourage that young pastor or that pastor out there uh, who's coming out the pandemic, <laughs> you know, uh, saying, "Man, what is going on?" Yeah. Listen, uh, Pastor Friend, you and I, we've all read the same reports, right? We know that that Barna says that almost 40% of us are wondering if we're going to keep doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And we know that those who are most likely to leave are those who are older, who are saying, I'm just not going to keep being attacked by these people I'm supposed to love and be loved by. And young families, those pastors are saying, I'm not going to put my family through this for the next 40 years. Listen, here's, here's what I want you to know. The word of God that you preach and love is powerful and effective. It will not fail to do what God intends. That's not going to make life easy. But if you are faithful to the word, what God is going to do is he's going to use you. It will penetrate the hearts of God's people. And, and what you and I know is this can be a very lonely time. When did it ever get controversial to open the nursery? <laughs> when, when, when did you ever have to fight people over whether to wear masks or not? When were they ever ready to just criticize you because you said, would you try to take care of your neighbor? But that's there now. You're not alone. It's not just that there are thousands and thousands of pastors experiencing the same thing. It's that Jesus is with you. And when all else fails, you have to know this. The Lord knows. He knows your heart. He knows the word that you are preaching is faithful. And it will accomplish his purposes. It may not be in your lifetime. I mean, nobody wanted the ministry of Isaiah, right? You know, preach to these people and they will not hear. <laughs> I don't want that ministry. But it was the ministry that ultimately led a nation and the nations to the Lord Jesus. The Lord will use you. His word will not return to him void. Know that you're not alone and God will lift you up. He will make your work effective. He has promised. He will make your work effective. Preach his word and he will make it effective for his people. Mm -hmm.
Make his word. Thank you so much, Brian. And and I, I wanted to touch on those two listeners because um, uh, as we look at health, trying to make, you know, how do we make healthy and thriving and flourishing families? Um, it's going to take the work of, I always say, the village, right? And, and so let's start in a home and let it be supported by the church. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Uh, they will certainly be a blessing to so many. And um, we look forward to chatting again real soon. Thank you, Terrence. Thanks for loving families so well that you give yourself to this purpose. It's a, it's a great blessing. Thank you. Thank you.